This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. It's a better performance this time than last, uh, even though the result, uh, we won 3-1 last time. Now it's a 2-1. I think the performance this time uh, showed that we, we have developed. Uh, Scott and Fred in midfield were um, outstanding. Scotty played first half with only one eye as well. That was the, the most impressive thing because he lost his contact lens. So that was, uh, that was uh, impressive. We know when we go here against players and a team team like this with players like Neymar and Mbappe that we have to defend well and David will have to make a few saves and uh, he, he produced the goods. Yeah, I think Marcus has developed to be a, a very, very good striker. Uh, it's difficult to com- compare the two of them. I think both are potentially top, top uh, strikers for 10, 15 years. Uh, and they've got great skill, great quality, great physique, pace. Um, Mark, uh, both of them seems very good persons, like humble persons, hardworking persons, and uh, it's nice to see them succeed. On the ball kicks off now on BFM 89.9. A delighted Ole after Man United won in Paris in midweek on the ball with me ross on a friday evening yeah weekends here Woo-hoo. we can all go out oh no wait a second <laughs> <laughs> do do tweet at bfm radio do follow us on social media it's bfm football on instagram and on facebook we have a brand new video out on our youtube channel it's tfif on video please check it out joining me this evening we have craig wilkie in the house hello craig Hello, Ross. Good evening, everyone. Hope you had a good week. Yeah, indeed. And Bob Holmes is also here. Hello, Bob. Hi, everybody. I hope they're enjoying the football. <laughs> what a lot of football it is. I, I just found out that the Champions League is going on every week until, what, mid-December. Wow. December's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, speaking of Champions League, we, we just heard Ole at the start. Let, let's, let's talk about that. Uh, PSG won Man United 2 game in uh, Group H. Bob Holmes, pa- uh, Marcus Rashford does love it in Paris, doesn't he? Yeah, he does, doesn't he? Uh, United do too. And this was a much better performance than the one last year when, uh, which clinched Ollie's job. Yeah. I think you, even you as a United fan would have to admit it was a bit of a fluke. Um, but this was f- thoroughly deserved. And uh, you wonder where PSG are at, actually, um, because this... United, with all the criticism they've had, they actually were the better side. It was thoroughly deserved. And incredibly, United may have stumbled upon a centre-back who's actually a member of their own squad, the (laughs) long-forgotten Twanzebe. I think Colchester in the Carabao Cup was his last game, right? (laughs) (laughs) Like 10 months ago. Yeah, I mean, he, he when he uh, first came into the side, um, there were big raps for him, weren't they? You know, yeah. uh, he, he looked outstanding. He'd been uh, a top player at every level. And he joined United when he was eight years old. Um, but then um, he didn't make any progress. I think it was under Jose Mourinho, um, who doesn't trust kids, um, farmed him out to Aston Villa. He got injured. He got forgotten about. And then in the hour of need, uh, Ollie picks him 
and he's outstanding. And without getting too carried away, he could be the solution to that problem of centre-back. He was, he was that good. Yeah, Craig, on Twitter, the joke was Twan Zibi was was stopped from leaving Charles de Gaulle Airport because he had 300 million euros in his pocket, <laughs> i.e. Uh, Neymar and Mbappe. But, I mean, he was good. Um, again, in the big games, we see Ole playing this five-at-the-back formation. Is this the way to go for, for United, you reckon? And also, no Pogba in that starting eleven. Yeah, well, I, I've been a critic of Ole a little bit in his time in charge at Manchester United. But I can't have any criticism of either the team selection, the tactics, or the way that his side played over in Paris. As Bob said earlier, it was a thoroughly deserved victory. There was no question that United were the better side from the first whistle to the last. And yeah, as you see, when it comes to the... We were talking about it on Monday, right? The team that he selected last weekend in the Premier League, and we thought, well, did he have an eye on that game? And was he maybe resting Pogba, for example, and some other players who might come in and play for that match? But no, he made, he made a big call. And that's what managers get judged on at the end of the day. He made a big call to leave Pogba out. I've also been a critic of Pogba, so I can understand the reasoning behind that. I don't feel as though he's lived up to anything like the reputation that he's had over the years. Well, in, the, in the last few seasons, he's just he's looked, a, he's looked a shadow of his former self to me. Mm-hmm. And especially since Fernandez has come in and he's brought so much of that drive that maybe once upon a time we would have expected Pogba to be given to that side. And to me now, the, the Fernandez-Rashford axis is the key to that whole side. The way those two link up is just, they've got such an understanding. You know, they haven't actually played together for that long when you think about it, how long that Fernandez has been at the club. But they seem to have developed this rapport, this way of playing together. And when they combine in the way that we saw, we've seen it sometimes already this season, we saw more evidence of it in Paris. It's absolutely phenomenal. And then, of course, the, the Achilles heel, if you like, has been at the back for United for a long time. But if five at the back is the way of, of solving that, then who knows if he's going to carry that on into other games. And five at the back doesn't have to be a, a defensive way of playing. You know, you can get those wing backs forward and you can actually, you can attack from it. I don't know if Juan Bissaka is necessarily the best going forward. He, had, he certainly had a very good game defensively up against Neymar and Mbappe. So, so yeah, only, only positives you can take out of that game. And yeah, let, let's look forward to the, I know we'll talk about it later on the show, but let's look forward to the selection this weekend that Solskjaer puts out and see, yeah. see, who, see who those players play again. Yeah, good point. Uh, Neymar has now failed to score in four consecutive Champions League appearances for the first time since November 2013. Uh, the other Group H game was RB Leipzig 2, Istanbul 0. Um, they, uh, yeah, should be interesting, this, this group. Chelsea had a 0-0, and that's no mean feat because of Chelsea's defence. Uh, Chelsea nil, Sevilla nil. Bob Holmes, according to Frank Lampard, Edward Mendy has now established himself as Chelsea's number one in between the sticks. Yeah, uh, well, that's what he was bought for, wasn't it? Even though the fee was modest, uh, 20 million. Um, the guy has a very interesting history. Do you know, five years ago, he was on the dole. He spent a year on the dole. And he got uh, children, just rather like Adrian at uh, Liverpool, got uh, kids to uh, shoot at him on the public park just to keep him sharp. And uh, then one day his agent called and, and uh, he went to Marseille. He had a trial at Marseille and he's not looked back. And he's Senegal's number one keeper now, although he, he was he is actually uh, French. And he, he looks pretty solid. 
I remember saying on the show a couple of weeks ago when he was signed that his stats weren't that brilliant compared to the top keepers. Uh, but Chelsea obviously saw something in him. Peter Cech is the football director. And even though he's named himself in the squad yeah. <laughs> for the Champions League, which doesn't show a lot of confidence in Chelsea's keepers, does it? But he's the fourth keeper, by the way. Um, uh, Mendy looks the business. Mm. He's very solid. He's commanding. And that's what Chelsea have been lacking. Um, Kepa, he, he, he can save. Uh, he's got good reflexes sometimes. Uh, you know, he's flashy. He can pull off a brilliant save, but so can they all. But he never commands his area. And you can see why the defense is nervous with him. But this guy, Mendy, looked great. And even though it was a slightly disappointing result at home, nil-nil, the fact that it was a clean sheet, Frank Lampard looked as if it was a victory almost. <laughs> he I think he was a, yeah. <laughs> just about as pleased as, as if they'd won the game. Um, but they still haven't decided on the formation up front. I mean, that's um, we'll talk about the the game later on, mm. I'm sure. But um, you know, he's well, he's bound to experiment because he's still getting guys back who've been out, like Zayek and Pulisic. You know, they've been injured for a long time, so he's still trying to sort them all out, trying to keep them all happy. But he'd be very, very pleased with a clean sheet. Yeah, um, Thiago Silva also had a pretty good game in defence. So actually that draw didn't do Chelsea any harm because Group E rivals Ren were held to a 1-1 draw um, uh, against Krasnodar. So all square in Group E. Uh, group C, Man City 3, Porto 1. It's Man City, Craig Wilkie, it's, it's Pep Guardiola. Man City's 10th attempt at winning the Champions League. I don't know how many it is for Pep. Uh, maybe five or six of them. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it's, they're, they're, they're all prime. This is their target. Everybody knows it. Yet the squad looks a bit thin. Yeah, which is an extraordinary thing to say, isn't it? Crazy, Given right? The, yeah. the, amount, the amount of money that's been spent. Guardiola is in complete control of the football business at that club. I think any request that he makes will be listened to very seriously. I don't think he gets turned down very often when it comes to the, the sorts of players that he wants to sign. So you need to look at him when it comes to the depth of that squad. In terms of the game itself, City were reasonably comfortable winners in the end. I mean, they, they recovered well from going a goal down early on. It was a fantastic goal, actually, that Porto scored, the individual effort to take the lead. But City never panicked. They, they knew that they were the better side and slowly they played their way into the game. And actually, some of the goals when they came were, were pretty good. I thought for the, the last goal, you know, Foden's pass that set it up was yeah. just so beautifully weighted. You know, it, it looks so simple when, when you watch it back, but actually it was a real touch of class and some real vision and awareness, which we know he brings to that side. So there'll be, and you look at the rest of that group, I think they've got Marseille Olympiacos in it. There shouldn't be too much trouble for City in negotiating that group, but that's never really been the problem. They've managed to get out of the group stage. It's when it comes to the knockout rounds and, Strangely to me, it seems that they still lack that confidence and belief that they can really go into those latter stages of the Champions League and, and dominate teams. They tend to go into their shell a little bit. Even mm. Pep sometimes changes the tactics a little bit surprisingly and starts to play more defensively. When really all City's best performances and results come when they, they go out and they attack and they try and impose themselves on players. You get Sterling running at teams and pushing them back. So we'll have to wait and see what happens you know, 
come the new year, really, when we get into those those more serious games. But it was an OK start. And given the fact that they have some players out, you know, De Bruyne are still missing, it, it, it's, it's not a bad result. But bigger tests to come. UEFA regulations allow clubs to name 12 subs for each Champions League game. City had two goalies on the bench. That says a lot, <laughs> right? When, when well, that... Sorry, they Bob. need him. Yeah. I was going to say, Ed- Edison is not as good as he was, is he? No, he, and yeah. he, he's fumbling even with his feet. I think he was universally regarded as the best keeper with his feet um, anywhere. Uh, could almost play in midfield. Yeah, that was the joke. But he's stumbling now, and we're seeing uh, it's almost like a disease. Um, Leno, uh, last night again, an accomplished keeper, but other, uh, the Ukrainian keeper in, uh, in a game the other night, uh, making absolute howlers. <laughs> and you, you begin to wonder when this is happening in almost every game, whether this uh, playing from the back, playing from the keeper is actually worth it. Mm. I'd, I'd like to see some stats. I mean, it, you would need AI to do this, but you know, to compare the advantages by the keeper playing the ball out to the catastrophic errors that they make. And I, I wonder, you've got to have, you've got to create a few goals like Edison has and like Allison has at uh, Liverpool uh, to compensate for these uh, errors because when they make them, it's almost always a goal they concede. Yeah. All right. Uh, on to Group D then, uh, where Ajax of Amsterdam hosted Liverpool. It was 1-0. It was a known goal from Nicolas Tagliafico uh, at, that got Liverpool the win. It was uh, injury hit Liverpool. Fabinho started at centre-back. Um, I thought Joe Gomez had a, had a pretty good game after a rocky few weeks, Craig Wilkie. Yeah, it, I think we were we were looking forward to this game a lot, a lot. It promised so much on paper, but in the end, it never really delivered as a as a spectacle. The football match itself. Liverpool won't be too concerned about that though, because this was all about recovering from the previous weekend, yeah. just getting through that, picking up the points. You know, Bob made the point about goalkeepers playing out from the back, and as a Liverpool fan, Adrian gives you all sorts of potential <laughs> heart attacks, and you know, and, and he and he had an incident with Gomez, right, where Gomez yeah. was shepherding the ball back and expected his goalkeeper to just pick it up, which would have been the most natural thing in the world. But he started to try and dribble or tackle him or play it out or something. And Gomez just gave him a look as if to say, what on earth are you doing here? You know, and I think there's a little bit of that disease that Bob was mentioning that's inflicting goalkeepers everywhere right now. And Liverpool were slightly fortunate on a couple of occasions to get away with that uh, defensively. But I, I called it on Monday that Fabinho would go in and play at centre-half. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's what he did. And he looked assured there as he's done every time he's stepped into that role. Liverpool didn't offer that much of an attacking threat overall. You know, as you mentioned, it was an own goal that, that produced the win. And interestingly, Klopp took off all three of the attackers by the end of the game. You know, um, Firmino, Salah and Mane were all substituted. So there was definitely a case of just trying to keep it tight and go back with what they already had by that stage of the game. So, yeah, I think for Liverpool, with obviously the Van Dijk injury, it's going to be going to be difficult to see how they how they recover from that and how they're going to settle on a new system potentially to to make up for that loss. Thiago was obviously still out from the the game the previous weekend as well so those big big players missing and some others too. Um, So he he had a few maybe more fringe players who either started or came in and played a part in the game. So from that point of view three points away from home in the Champions League is quite a good result. Yeah 
good good win yeah. for sorry bob I, yeah, I'd just like to mention Fabinho's overhead clearance yeah. on the goal line. <laughs> uh, that was pretty spectacular, wasn't it? Was, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, it really was. That was the highlight of a, of a fantastic performance from him, as Craig said. And that is the real bonus for Liverpool. I mean, having lost Van Dijk for the season, you suddenly find a guy who's capable of going there and playing as well as that. Well, we knew he could do it. Um, but it was reassuring to see him uh, play that well. However, he will be a loss to midfield. If he's going to play there regularly, you will lose his influence in midfield. But fortunately for Liverpool, they, they have bought a world-class midfielder. I mean, a different type of midfielder, yeah. yes. But Klopp can rejig it. I mean, Henderson is the go-to man. He can play virtually any role in midfield and at a pinch, even centre-back, which he has on a couple of occasions. So if it, it's going to look like Fabinho is going to be one of the centre-backs and then you, you can perm your, your midfield. You've got Wijnaldum, a Milner who played uh, in midweek and uh, Thiago to come back. So already you can see that the loss of Van Dijk, though, although catastrophic, is already being mitigated mm. by a, a, a rejig of the formation. And that is what Klopp is a master at. And that's why I don't think this uh, loss of Van Dyke is actually going to cost them the title. Well, uh, I still, I still think that they can win it. Yeah. And, yeah. and you saw, you saw an example of, of the rejig in midweek. They're champions for a reason and, and they have a championship squad. I'm um, not championship, but you know, championship winning. We know, <laughs> you know you what mean. I mean. On that note, we'll take our first break. <laughs> Stick with us. Back with your weekend preview. And once more, footballers of all racial backgrounds take a knee to express a united opinion that Black Lives Matter. On the ball on BFM eighty nine point nine. Has come up with something beyond ordinary. That is a brilliantly elastic save. This is On The Ball on BFM 89.9. And we're back, back on a Friday evening. You can tweet us at BFM Radio. Also follow us on social media. It's BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook. Uh, Ross here, along with Craig Wilkie and Bob Holmes. Looking forward to the weekend's English Premier League action. There is actually a Friday night game, and that is where we shall start. Uh, Craig Wilkie, Aston Villa take on Leeds United. It's second versus 10th. Uh, yeah, places don't actually mean anything. This one's a 3 a.m. kickoff. Now, Aston Villa are the only, uh, the last remaining Premier League side with a 100% record. Um, they're good. Talk Villa up for us this season. Ah, it's a very easy thing to do, to talk Villa up and not being a, a Villa supporter. 3M is probably a little bit tough for me, I've got to be honest, for this game. But if I was a Villa fan, I would be up for it for sure. And with the run that they've been on so far to start the season, just absolutely phenomenal. And playing really good football. I think that's the, the thing that's excited us most. You look at some of the attacking talent that they have now. I, Grealish, we know what a quality player he is. And I think since he made that decision to stay and pledge his loyalty to the club, He's just really decided to be that leader. And every game he goes out and he just, he started running games and he started really imposing his quality on, on opposing players and opposing teams. And 
all of a sudden, you've got to start thinking about now. I think before, maybe teams looked at Villa and thought, well, okay, we'll go out and play however we want to play, and, and that'll be enough. But now, with the sort of attacking talent that they have, you've really got to give some thought as to how you're going to manage that, how you're going to counter that. And Barkley as well, I think, is an absolutely tremendous signing. Yeah. I can remember when he first broke onto the scene and we were talking about him in absolutely superlative terms about how far this boy might go and what sort of a career he might have. Now, of course, he hasn't lived up entirely to that hype. I think his career has dipped a little bit versus what we might have expected of him. But there's never been any doubt as to what a good footballer he is. The problem has always been consistency, maybe some question marks about his attitude. Will he do it regularly? And possibly some players, they just need the right club, the right environment. Of course, it's very early days in his Villa career, but the start he's made is absolutely fantastic. He looks as though he, he belongs there. He really fits in with the, the squad and the system that, that Smith wants to try and play. So yeah, if you're an Aston Villa fan, what, what, a, what a great time it is to, to, to get up and watch that team play. And yeah, I think, I'm sure, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about the Leeds as well, but those two teams like to go out and attack each other. So I expect goals in this one. I expect a really good game. Yeah, Craig Wilkie may not be up for this one, but I will be for <laughs> sure. <laughs> Bob Holmes, Leeds, Bob, Leeds United are looking to bounce back from, from Monday night's 1-0 home defeat to Wolves. Uh, they've been going great. Uh, the, the thing about Leeds, that they're really easy to preview because you kind of know how they're going to play. It, it's a man-marking system, generally. Now, they're going to have their hands full with Mr. Jack Grealish running around, aren't they? They are. It'll be interesting to see how they handle him. Um, I mean, you say it's easy to preview Leeds. Um, I'd rather <laughs> talk about Villa. Um, <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd just like to say that Villa, the reason Villa struggled so much last season was because of the injuries. Yeah. They were absolutely decimated and they only just uh, saved their skins um, almost at the last game. And, and th those, some of those guys have come back, notably uh, McGinn, and what an influence he is. So you've got, a, you've got a decent side to begin with, and they've bought very well. And it's no surprise. Well, it is a surprise they're doing that well. But, I mean, I thought they'd have a decent season. I didn't think we'd be talking about them as 100% record holders in, um, in the Premier League, the only club. That's unbelievable. But... Um, Leeds, um, I think they uh, we were getting a little bit carried away back. Um, I mean, we can forget all about the old Leeds, the dirty Leeds of, of a, a generation or two ago, which I remember, of course. Um, and this team is completely different. Uh, they're not dirty at all. They play great football under Bielsa and uh, they're a joy to watch. But I think that the praise that was heaped upon them was probably a little over the top. And now they're going to find their level. I think they're, they're, they're a mid-table side, basically, on what we've seen so far. Mm. I don't think they're going to be in Europe um, next season or anything like that, but they're certainly not going to go down. So that reminder that Wolves gave them was probably what they needed, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, so they don't get too carried away or the fans don't get too carried away. Um, and in this, I, I, can, I could see Villa winning this, actually, and, um, you know, maintaining their 100% record and, and giving Leeds a bit more to think about. Because man for man, you look at those players. OK, the Villa players are rather better known because they've most of them been in the Premier League a bit more. So we know them. We know them well and they're 
the likes of Grealish and McGinn are international players and all that, and Barclay, of course. And the Leeds guys, they're either championship players or they've been, or they're foreigners from the sort of second tier clubs, astute signings in many cases. Rodrigo's a notable uh, exception to that because he, he played in the Premier League 10 years ago for Bolton, uh, believe it or not. But um, I think Villa are a better side, and mm. I, I would be quite confident in predicting an Aston Villa win here. All right. Well, uh, Leeds United have a few injury problems going into that. Calvin Phillips looks like he's going to be out for a while as well. It's a 3 a.m. kickoff, that one. Aston Villa against Leeds United. Uh, West Ham United in ninth take on Manchester City, who are 11th in the early table. It is also the early kickoff on Saturday, 7.30 p.m. Now, last weekend, we saw the Hammers come back from three down to draw 3-3 at Spurs. Craig Wilkie, everybody, every hammer, I say, uh, is trusting in David Moyes now. And I say that tongue tongue firmly in cheek. No, in Moyes, you must trust, Ross. Come on. Uh, The the question for this game is, which West Ham turns up? Is it the West Ham of the first half that we watched against Spurs? Or is it the West Ham of the last 20, 25 minutes that we saw in that game who not only showed the sort of fight and heart to come back from such a deficit, but actually started playing some decent football as well. And, you know, winning some territory, getting the ball into the box, causing Spurs some problems. And they've got decent players to do that when they're, when they're in form and when they're playing with a little bit of confidence. The, the challenge that West Ham have had, and it seems to be for such a long time now, is just that consistency in performance. And it, it's not even about, you know, can you get a run together of five or six games? Is can you get 60 minutes out of them consistently before they, before they drop off a level? And I said it before, I thought the, the first half performance against Spurs was absolutely woeful. One of the worst I've seen this season from a defensive point of view. Yes, Spurs played well, but the way West Ham let them dominate that game was, was just terrible. You, you can't expect to pick up any points in the Premier League if you're, if you're playing like that. Of course, you've got to give Moyes and you've got to give the squad credit for the, the way they turned that around. And no doubt they'll have taken a lot of confidence from coming back into the game in the way that they did. And then a home game against City, who we know are, yeah, of course you would expect City to start as favourites, but City are perhaps not quite the intimidating prospect that they were maybe a season or two ago. So mm. West Ham West Ham will definitely feel as though they've got a shot in that, playing at home particularly. So let's see. But I think this time they'll have to start a lot better. If City get three goals up, I don't think they'll let West Ham back into the game. Okay, well, Moyes is sweating on the fitness of Mikel Antonio. He is he's a vital cog in that David Moyes machine. <laughs> um, for Man City, Bob, they're going to be missing Fernandinho, but I, I read that um, apparently <clears throat> Kevin De Bruyne and Emmerich Laporte started training on Thursday. I don't know how close they'll be to, to game time, but they need some of the players back because Pep can't deal with an injury crisis as well, can he? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think so. He needs another 400 million to spend. Exactly. <laughs> no, I think it's um, a good sign for City that Laporte is uh, back in training uh, and they'll be anxiously awaiting the Antonio news as well because if he's fit, his physical presence, I'm looking forward to seeing this against that Man City defence with or without Laporte, um, is going to be something to behold. I and mean, we saw John Stones coming on as a sub in midweek. I mean, that's how thin uh, City's squad is. I mean, I thought John Stones was 
not only yesterday's man, but uh, a forgotten man. I'm surprised he's still on the books, actually. He um, seems to have lost his way completely. And you, it would be an unfair fight if it was Antonio up against John Stones. Uh, Ruben Diaz, um, they've got him. Uh, he was supposed to be the long-awaited, tough, ball-playing centre-back that they've needed for a couple of seasons. Um, not done anything great yet, um, but uh, give him time. I mean, it's a very different league to the Portuguese league. Uh, they paid big money for him. That's a lot of money for to buy for, uh, to spend on a player from the Portuguese league, who's not done it anywhere else. Um, I mean, Bruno Fernandes had. Uh, it was a similar fee, actually, 60-odd million. Um, but he'd proved himself in Italy. He had, a, he had tasted a football outside of Portugal. Um, so that made a bit more sense. He's also a, a strike forward. So that tends to put the price up a bit. But Diaz has it all to prove. Um, they'll miss Fernandinho. Yeah. Uh, that's a, that's a, a serious blow to them. He won't be playing at all. I mean, they missed him last season when he was playing centre-back, a makeshift centre-back, not as effective as he was when he was in midfield. And they missed that. They're going to miss him in both places now. Um, so, yeah, uh, City are nowhere near the side that, that got 100 points two seasons ago and, and played mesmerising football. I think even up front, they're not quite as slick as they were. They haven't got David Silva. And Kevin De Bruyne does seem to get injured quite often. Um, so they're not the force they were. Um, although, having said that, West Ham have been their bogey. Well, not their bogey team. City have been West Ham's bogey team yeah. the last few years. They usually beat them about 5-0. Mm. They are absolute whipping boys for City. But with all these different players in now, we're talking about, um, I don't think they're too concerned about history. Um, so to me, I think West Ham's only chance is if Antonio is fit and really gives the City defence a, a rough time. It's all set up. for nil-nil after all that. <laughs> it's, it's all set up. Boys will take that as well. It's all set up for an intriguing battle then at West Ham Man City. It's your early kickoff on Saturday evening. We're off for a break. Stick with us. Back with so much more after this. This is On The Ball on BFM 89.9. We wondered if he'd make a difference. So if he beats him all ends up, doesn't he? Stay on the ball on BFM 89.9. And we're back. Back with Bob Holmes and Craig Wilkie on this Friday evening. You can tweet at BFM Radio. Also, follow us on social media. It's BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook. We also have a YouTube channel up and running. Do check out TFIF on video. Right, it's off to Old Trafford we go for Manchester United against Chelsea. This is your late Saturday game, half past midnight this one kicks off. Um, Bob Holmes, the obvious question here is, what's Ole going to do? Back five or back four? <laughs> um well, I say don't change your winning team. Um, that's an old-fashioned phrase, isn't it, in these days of uh, rotation. But um, he might be tempted to stick with, uh, with that side, um, or certainly that back five, um, because they did the job. 
um, against a pair, just have to mention PSG, really, they're falling apart. Um, you know, they've lo- apart from uh, Carvalho, they've lost uh, Rabio, Chupa Moting, and Thiago Silva. Um, so, you know, uh, I'm not wishing to diminish United's achievement, but um, it was a weakened P- PSG. However, Chelsea, uh, buoyed by their clean sheet, will uh, will be looking. They, they will be very chuffed to get another clean sheet. I tell you, Frank Lampard would be jumping up and down if this ends nil-nil. Um, but um, I doubt if it will somehow, uh, with all the attacking talent on view. This could be a high-scoring game. Um, we, we've had one or two in the past. We've also had a couple of nil-nil draws, I remember, in this fixture. But intriguing... Uh, matchup here because you've got United who were being written off by their own fans a couple of weeks ago and people calling for Pochettino and now there's more chance of Pochettino going to Real Madrid than there is of him going to Old Trafford I mean Ole has done it again um, you know well, I'm not saying he's out of the wood completely but he's bought himself a bit of time and if he can, if he can uh, keep Pogba off the field, I know he didn't quite manage it because he came on uh, in Paris in the second half, but really they play better without him. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's one of the keys. I mean, Pogba is totally underperforming and it's as if he doesn't care. And I think this attitude, this lackadaisical attitude, transmits itself to other players it has to because he's such a big figure i mean he is the best player on paper on the books and and yet he he seldom performs it's just the occasional cameo when you see the talent that he's got and i think this has been a problem for united and i think it's dragged them down instead of him being an inspiration you know he he's actually a you know, young players are wondering what he's doing in the side. Mm. So without him, and a, a, I mean, it's a fairly young side um, without him. I mean, with, with the likes of, <clears throat> excuse me, Twanzibi, I mean, Rashford, he's only 23. He's been around forever, it seems. Um, Martial is, is uh, only 22, I think, or 23. I mean, this is a fairly young, promising Manchester United side. And with... Fernandez being a key man, the fulcrum really of of the team. I think I think they do have possibilities here, and um, enough to keep Ole in a job for the foreseeable future. I think he's turned it round, and like he did last time. I mean, he's not there yet. They've got to win a few more games before we start talking about United being back in Europe and um, again next season and you know, all that. They're not going to challenge for the title. I don't think they're that good, but there are possibilities there. And he's done it on a limited budget. He hasn't spent wildly and he's using his own resources. The young, the young players are coming through. So um, it's, it's all looking uh, a, a lot better than it did a couple of weeks ago. Mm. Surely Axel Twanzebi ha- has uh, bought himself uh, given himself enough credit to, to earn a starting spot the weekend. We shall see uh, for Chelsea, Craig Wilkie. Now, big money signing Timo Werner has been used out on the left flank. But 
we've seen that he's a really good centre forward uh, with his with his two goals last time out. And let's face it, Chelsea have got enough players to, to play out on the flanks. They've got Pulisic, they've got Ziyech uh, and, and all that. Um, do you reckon we're going to see Werner up front as a number nine? I think we will. I think we should. It's interesting. We were just speculating about what sort of team that Solskjaer might send out. And it's equally unclear as to what Lampard might do tactically yeah. and with his team selection and everything like that. I mean, just to go back to, to Bob's point, I mean, Pogba's no McTominay, is he? So let's just be, let's just be clear about that from a Scottish perspective. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you're, you're, you're right when it comes to Werner. I, I was really impressed with his performance last weekend. He looked like a, he looked like a bit of an old-fashioned number nine in, the, in that role. The way that he, he was just looking to get turned and go directly at the defenders every time that Chelsea got the ball. And I think one of the interesting things for me when I look at that Chelsea side is the role of Jorginho, right? And he was, because he was a player that Sarri brought in to play in a very specific style. And sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't quite work. And Chelsea got a lot of stick on occasion when he was seen to be, you know, playing sideways passes and not bringing enough momentum to the team. But on his day, I think he's an absolutely fantastic footballer. And Lampard, it seems to me, is still trying to figure out exactly how best to use him. But if you play him a little bit further up the field, if you let him try and dictate play a little bit, which is what we saw last weekend, and he was involved in almost every good thing that Chelsea did against Southampton and set up a couple of the goals. If he gets that understanding going with Werner, then I think some really interesting things might start happening for Chelsea. But you look at every area of that team, you look at the defence, you look at the midfield, you look at the forwards, as you were mentioning earlier, and I still don't know yet what Lampard's first choice 11 is. And I'm not sure if he knows himself who his ideal starting 11 is, if he's got all those players fit and how much he might change it from game to game. So it's definitely an evolution at Chelsea. We'll see how that, that goes. But yeah, two, two sides who are, need a bit of momentum. They need to put a few wins together. So whoever comes out on top of this, let, let's see how far that might take them in the next, next month or so. Sunday, half past midnight kickoff. Man United still yet to taste victory at Old Trafford this season. Man United, Chelsea then, Sunday, 12.30. Uh, Liverpool take on Sheffield United. Uh, it's a 3 a.m. kickoff on Sunday. Poor old Sheffield United, Bob. You, you're not going to fancy this. You haven't started well this season. You're going to Anfield where Liverpool are unbeaten in 61 Premier League games at home. I know they've got some injuries, but we, we've seen that they can still go away. They've got strength in depth and they've got quality players. Yeah. Um, and you wouldn't, um, but you wouldn't put a lot of money on uh, Ryan, Ryan Brewster scoring against his old club, would you? Um, but you never know. Um, I mean, he's gone there on a, um, a, a proper deal. Um, so uh, Liverpool can't have a clause saying he, he doesn't play against them, uh, although they do have a buyback clause. So they haven't given up on him totally. But it would be a, something of a fairy story for him if, if he were to score. I mean, he's, he's been brought to uh, Sheffield to do that because that's the, the thing they desperately need. And uh, I think he's a, he's a good prospect, but he's asking a lot to put the whole burden of Sheffield United's goal scoring this season on a, on a young guy like that who's not quite proved himself yet. Um, so Liverpool won't be quaking in their boots at the prospect, although they do know what he's like because he has, he has played 
in uh, training. He has trained with the first team squad and got the occasional glimpse. Um, but uh, no, Liverpool, um, they've got a couple of easy looking games. I wouldn't say easy, but easy looking games on paper now uh, to sort themselves out. Uh, that was a tough one at Ajax um, in midweek. They came through that unscathed and with a bonus of three points. Um, now they've got Sheffield United at home, followed by Midtjylland in midweek, next week in the Champions League. So that's, they're the whipping boys of that group. And that looks like another fairly easy task. So they can, they can switch the formation a little bit. They can experiment. I think they can afford to do that in these next two games. And then they'll have a better idea of how they're going to cope without Van Dijk. So don't be surprised to see um, an unfamiliar lineup. And it was significant that uh, Klopp rotated as early as the 60th minute in midweek, uh, taking off the whole front three. I mean, that's, that's almost unprecedented. Um, so he does seem determined to give the likes of Minamino and Shakiri. I mean, there's another forgotten man. Shakiri came on. Um, so it looks like he's, he's going to use the, the full strength of the squad here to cope with this injury crisis. And um, I think they, whatever he decides upon, uh, they should have enough uh, to cope with Sheffield United, who sadly look as if they've got a, a season of struggle ahead of them. Okay. Uh, I wouldn't say there was shoe-ins to go down, but it's going to be tough. Yeah. Yeah, going into the break. <clears throat> quick one, Craig Wilkie. Liverpool winless in their last two. Are, are you worried? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'll probably have to get up at 3 a.m. for Liverpool for this game. You know, so <laughs> uh, we, we'll do that. I, I'm, not, I'm not too worried. Actually, I think the, I was probably more worried ahead of the derby last weekend, but the, the performance that Liverpool put in in that game really impressed me. I know all the controversy that came along after it, but... When you look at the actual performance over 90 yeah. minutes, there was, a, there was a lot to take out of that. And so I expect that it'll be okay against Sheffield United. But just, just to bring together two points that you both made earlier, one is, as you were mentioning, we're going to have Champions League fixtures almost every week yeah. over the course of the next you know, five or six weeks. And Bob, we're talking about it in terms of Manchester United, Chelsea, Liverpool now. If ever there was a season that those squads are going to be tested in terms of the entire squad, then this is it. And managers are going to have to deal with the potential constant disruption of if a player gets COVID, if players have to isolate, all of that sort of stuff. So there's going to be a lot of uncertainty. There's going to be a lot of rotation is going to be required on the part of managers this season. So having that squad and making sure that you've got versatile players who can come in and do different jobs at different times of the season is going to be really important. All right. It's set up not to be a nil-nil. I say that and I, I dangle the carrot out there. Liverpool... When I get up at 3 a.m., it's bound to be a nil-nil. <laughs> <laughs> Liverpool versus Sheffield United, 3 a.m. kickoff. Uh, final break. Stick with us. Back right after this. Lovely football. Speed of that little passage of play. Stay on the ball on BFM 89.9. A two-goal lead. A picture of a goal. And that should be job done. Stay on the ball on BFM 89.9. 
And we're back, back with Bob Holmes and back with Craig Wilkie. Follow us on social media. It's BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook. Also, do subscribe to our YouTube channel, TFIF on video. Southampton in 12th take on top of the table, Everton. It's a Sunday 10 p.m. kickoff. Now, uh, I, I don't know. I've been reading in the press, Bob Holmes, that apparently James Rodriguez might not be available for this one, even in fantasy Premier League, there's a question mark over his availability, and 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 that's a big blow if that's the case. Uh, yeah, it is. Um, but they're not a one-man team, uh, Everton. Um, I think they'd miss uh, Calvert Lewin more, um, but they're also missing uh, Richarlison, of course, who's uh, serving a, a ban for his uh, tackle on uh, Thiago last weekend. Um, so they are going to be weakened and uh, Southampton have picked up from a sticky start. So they'll fancy it. Um, but Everton, um, although Liverpool, I think, were the superior team uh, on Saturday, um, they didn't disgrace themselves, Everton. And uh, they'll go into it. Both sides will be reasonably confident, I think of this it's a good clash it would have been the Theo Walcott derby but um, he can't face his parent club unfortunately um, he's on loan uh, from Everton uh, at Southampton uh, currently um, they may they may decide to keep him um, but uh, yeah this this uh, could go either way I mean it could be a nil-nil yeah if you're looking for a nil-nil Craig um, I, I would I would say this always, is a candidate. <laughs> I, I don't know, you know, Bob, because I, I don't think Ancelotti and Hassan Hartl favour defensive football that much. Uh, Looking at I see results. goals in this. Yeah, I reckon there'll be loads of goals in this. And, and can Everton, Craig Wilkie, can they, can they carry on this amazing run they're on at the moment? Remains to be seen if they can carry on the amazing run, but they're going to do a lot better than they have for a fair few seasons. That's for sure. I mean, just think back to maybe this time last year, if you're an Everton fan, and already you probably had that feeling of, here we go again, another season, underachievement. We're not even going to get back to that sort of level that Moyes had them at, whereby you know you could at least be thinking about finishing in sixth place, something like that. And the standard of football wasn't that great. There seemed to be a lot of discontent around the club. And all of a sudden, seemingly from nowhere, you bring in a figure like Ancelotti. And the whole, actually, to be fair, remember when, and Duncan Ferguson had that interim spell in charge. I think he kind of lifted the whole atmosphere around, around Everton. And then to, get, to go and get a figure like Ancelotti, and we're now seeing the real benefit of that, because what I always said at the time was, having a figure like Ancelotti at Everton, the real benefit will come with the sort of player he's able to attract to the club. And the fact, the only reason that Rodriguez is there is because Ancelotti is there. And once you've got a player of that sort of talent and who can make those around him play better... I think we've seen that with Calvert-Lewin, we've seen that with Richarlison, we've seen that with others. Then all of a sudden, you start to look at that team and you think, wow, you know, there's, some, there's some real talent there and there's, there's, some, there's a lot of points they're going to pick up. How far that takes them come the end of the season, it's a little bit early to say. And if they get some injuries, you know, if Rodriguez were to be out for a longer period of time, for instance, then, then they might start to struggle a little bit. But for now, yeah, I can definitely see them carrying it on and they're, they're, they're going to finish higher than they have for quite a long time, I think. 
Apparently, Real Madrid bosses are questioning Zidane's decision to allow James Rodriguez to go as well. Uh, Zidane's decisions, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Quite a few at the moment. Yeah, lots of eyebrows raised in in, in, uh, Madrid. You mean they're watching Everton? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Bob, careful. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Southampton Everton then is a 10 p.m. kickoff. Uh, there will be goals. There you go. That's our stamp of approval. Um, Arsenal take on Leicester City. Uh, it's a Monday 3:15 a.m. kickoff. Both clubs were involved in the Europa League Thursday night, Friday morning. Arsenal won 3-1 away at Rapid Vienna. Leicester City were 3-0 winners over Russian side Zoria at home. Um, let's let's go to you first, Bob, uh, and and start with Arsenal. They they're going good. We saw Thomas Partey make his debut, and he was quite crucial in that central midfield role. Yeah, uh, it's being called the one of the best debuts of all time. Um, that sounds a bit uh, over the top, but having only seen the highlights, um, I can't really argue. But uh, I, I thought it would be a good signing. Um, I mean, he's got a physical presence um, as well as well as uh, quite a lot of skill. And uh, after some of the jokers they've had in their um, Arsenal, I think they will notice the difference. Um, yeah, uh, Arsenal are going along okay. Uh, they, um, I think you've got to mention Mesut Ozil because of the fuss about him this week. It doesn't. Do you look... think it's out of order that he's not in the on the the twenty five man squad list? Well, out of order, but it does seem a bit strange when uh, you're looking at quite a few months ahead and your your highest paid player, uh, three hundred and fifty grand a week is not even deemed to be good enough, even if they get an injury crisis or, or something catastrophic goes wrong. Um, you know, and he's there and he's fit. Um, so that's why there have been rumours about um, uh, reason, other reasons for it, you know, political comments that mm, he's made yeah. and all that sort of thing. So it does uh, arteta has has said this is my responsibility you know he's decided to play hardball with um ozil and whatever you think of that however fair or unfair you think that may be you can't really argue with the way arsenal are performing on the field and he's bought a guy like party who as i said is a is a powerful player and now you'd never say that about ozil would you um and I mean, Ozil was a luxury player, and on a on a good day, he, he was he could be brilliant, but uh, he doesn't fit in with what Arteta is trying to create there. Arteta is building something, and um, I mean, Arsenal were at a pretty low ebb under Unai Emery. Let's not forget that. And the likes of Ozil, if you were looking around the dressing room and you wanted somebody to to really get stuck in and. Uh, pull their weight, you wouldn't put Ozil at the top of the list, would you? So he's gone for uh, stronger characters and you can see what's happening here. And it's it's working. I mean, they're coming along very nicely. They're they're okay in Europe and they're doing all right in the the Premier League too. And I think Arteta has stamped his authority on, on the club 
and he's handled Obamayang um, pretty well. He's managed to keep him, and he's juggling the the forwards. He, he's giving Pepe the odd the odd game. He's not um, done an Ozil with Pepe, although some Arsenal fans might have been tempted to, based on last season. Uh, Lacazette is still there, um, still popping in the odd goal. Uh, Leno uh, was a bit worrying. Um, I thought he'd had a brilliant spell um, and they felt so confident that they could let Martinez go to Aston Villa. But since Martinez has left, uh, Leno has started to make mistakes again and got Arsenal fans worrying whether they let the, the wrong guy go. But overall, I think it's looking quite good for Arsenal. And I think I would take them to, to beat Leicester here. Okay, well, Leicester are missing one Jamie Vardy. Uh, any team missing a Jamie Vardy, well, it's got to hurt. But during the Europa League, you saw James Madison, Harvey Barnes step up uh, for, for Brendan Rodgers' side. They're going to have to at the weekend again, aren't they, Craig? Yeah, they are. I just want to touch very briefly on the Ozil situation before we talk about Leicester. And I, I watched the press conference in which Arteta set out the reasoning behind the decision. And I'll be honest with you, I wasn't convinced by his body language. I wasn't convinced by what he was saying. He looked to me like a man who was explaining a decision that somebody else had made and that he was, he was trying to justify. And who knows? I mean, we can only speculate as to what might have gone on behind the scenes, but it didn't look to me as though Arteta was fully signed up necessarily and endorsing that decision to have a player of that quality and as Bob mentioned on the sort of wages that he's on not being a part of your 25 man squad when as we've just been talking about you know the the pressures on those squads are going to be so intense and so severe this season it's all very strange but let's let's see what happens with that as as things progress but yeah when it comes to Leicester you're right Vardy such such a huge player he's been a talisman for them now over so many years and actually has a very good record against Arsenal so uh, Arteta would be pretty pleased to see him not playing or, or on the bench. But as, as we were speaking about before, they're, they're not a one-man team either, Leicester. There's, there's plenty of, of talent still left in that squad. And Rodgers, I think when he first came in, he really had a, had a transformative effect. They started last season so fantastically well, looked as though they were almost certainties to qualify for the Champions League. And then, of course, we know how that faded out towards the end of last season. And I just wonder... I've mentioned before, if there's a little bit of a hangover from that that they're still dealing with. And even, even when they took to the field on Thursday night to play their Europa League game, I just wonder if they've been watching those Champions League fixtures the couple of nights before and, and thinking and wondering, that should have been us, really, mm. given, the, mm. given the position that they put themselves in. And now they found themselves playing on a Thursday night. And I think until the latter stages, the, there's certainly not quite as much glamour attached to the Europa League. And, and we've also seen in the past some sides have struggled a little bit with that Thursday, Sunday or Thursday, Monday um, regime, that routine of, of playing, especially if you get far-flung away games in the Europa League on a Thursday night and you have to travel back and try and prepare yourself for a Premier League game of the weekend. A lot of sides have suffered from that. Leicester don't have a lot of experience of, of trying to do that. So one test for them this season will be how they manage that. Yep. All right, it's all set up for an intriguing uh, late Sunday, early Monday game. Then Arsenal against Leicester is a Monday 3.15 a.m. kickoff. Elsewhere, you've got Fulham, bottom of the table, take on Crystal Palace Saturday at 10 p.m. Wolves in sixth, take on Newcastle in 13th, Sunday, half past midnight. Brighton against West Brom could see Danny Welbeck 
make his Seagulls debut. Uh, that's your weekend's football. Uh, that's it. We're out of time. So I'm going to say thank you to Bob Holmes. Thanks, everybody. And thanks to Craig Wilkie. Thank you very much. Enjoy the weekend's football. Yeah, have a great weekend, everybody. We'll be back Monday. Bye now. Some people are on the pitch. They think it's all over. Follow BFM Football on Facebook and catch On The Ball on BFM 89.9. It is now. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.